Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is a podcast with... Wow, I'm going to stop that and redo this because I actually need to know how to describe us. Okay. <laughs> you can describe <laughs> us as this off-again, on-again podcast that has something to do with magic and judging. Thank you, Jose. That's actually... I'll just use your clip there. That's fine. We do, um, so, as Jose said, we're sort of an off-again, on-again sort of podcast. We've... Uh, been a, a long time gone. Uh, a couple months here, we take taken off here, scheduling lots of other things going on in our lives. But uh, we have made the time, and now we have the technology, and everything's working fine, and it's back to normal. At least I hope. A lot has happened to the program, to magic in general, um, since we last recorded. So we're going to try covering some of that ground today. There's also a lot of ground that we just can't go back and cover. Um, just because it's so far gone, and really we want to stay mostly current in what we've got here. Some of the big things that I wanted to just briefly touch on, um, the disaster in Japan, um, giant earthquake, tsunami, nuclear disaster, all sorts of things bad going on there. Tenji Suzuki's ray of hope in that, um, well, Grand Prix Kobe was postponed, in light of that, he had this this message, <laughs> and it came across the judge list, and it really spoke to me and really made me think about how strong a family we are. And that is that Kenji said, in essence, we will be stronger for this, we will endure. You know, that, that that's such a strong message, and to hear this from someone who, um, he was just recently promoted now to level three um, since then, he's led his country <laughs> um, and whether such a disaster in his country um, in such a strong way, it, it's really moving. Um, now, I know this wasn't sort of on the agenda, but I just wanted to mention it because it, it really spoke to me. Um, and it's one thing that hopefully in the future we can have an interview with Kenji later on because he's um, really an inspiring individual, not only in, in this, but also in the work that he's done um, in the Japanese community. He's, you know, I met him at Worlds and worked with him there, um, and he really is an outstanding judge. Um, so, uh, with that, um, the rest of the program developed in huge ways while we were away. Um, what I mean, you want to go down the list here, Jose, of what what happened while we were gone? <laughs> Uh, well, um, as, as a lot of people know, they, uh, did something that, um, we were all hoping that would happen, um, ever since, you know, getting all these, uh, super, you know, four digit GP attendances. So they said, well, you know what, uh, let's have some more of those. Those sound pretty good. Mm -hmm. So that's, 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 that's a good news. I'm saving the bad news for last. All right. So the good news is that next year we will have tons more Grand Prix, uh, 40 of them, which means that tons of people will be able to, you know, get introduced to their local area, you know, level threes, level fours, be introduced to judging magic at these large scale events. It'll be fantastic. 40 Grand Prix, really a huge thing. However, do, we don't have the uh, the schedule or a, a, even a preview of the schedule of where these are going to be, right? We don't. Right, because you know, with 40 GPs now, they're, they're going to have to spread them around even more. I mean, we're going to you're used to getting you know the big cities like GP Portland. We, you know, we just had Dallas, uh, Fort Worth, 
Um, you know, pretty soon we're going to see, you know, GP uh, uh, Jackson, Wyoming, uh, GP uh, Spokane, uh, GP Schenectady, New York. Well, now, keep in mind, this is global, so you will see Grand Prix in other countries. Um, I would be really interested to see something in the future. You know, magic is printed in a ton of languages. One of those is Russian. Um, and to my knowledge, there has not been a premier event in Russia. Um, now, how that works out legally or how that works out logistically, um, how you get judges there, etc., if the community is even strong enough in Russia for, you know, say, uh, this sort of thing, it's probably better in, in Western Europe and other places like that. Um, or Eastern Europe. Um, it, that's one thing that I really would like to see if that happens, um, if it happens elsewhere. One big thing um, I'm looking forward to is seeing the South American community get more Grand Prix. Um, because um, they, they really, I know last year they did really didn't get anything. Uh, this year they've got one um, in Santiago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're looking forward to more there. Um and that's really something else in the, in the development of the program we can talk about in a little bit, which is promotions, which feeds into that. But um, you mentioned there's sort of bad news that goes along with it. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm not done. I got one thing to say on, on what you were saying. Yeah. Um, I'm all for having uh, GPs in, in other parts of the world. You know, you mentioned uh, uh, Russia and, uh, you know, the, the Russian countries. Um, you know, I'll, I'll refrain from... From a uh, from making jokes about that, uh, you know, in communist Russia, events run you, you know. Um, but um, it's it's true these these places are kind of hard to get to, and I think that's why uh, they've avoided them. I don't know if it's going to get better with these, you know, twice as many uh, events being run. Like uh, like you mentioned, uh, GP Santiago, like uh, Chile, like it's a wonderful country. Um, that one, it seems like, you know, uh, more South American countries should have had, uh, GPs, but, um, I think it's kind of hard to get to for a lot of people. Um, and I say this because like, for instance, uh, you know, there hasn't been a GP Miami, for instance. And the reason for that is that Miami is actually far away from just about everybody. Florida is actually a really huge state. It's 500 miles uh, from Miami to uh, the upper border with Georgia. So, you know, you can imagine it's 500 miles. That's, um, what, eight hours by car, something like that, seven hours by car. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think the difficulty in getting into places is definitely a a consideration. Every once in a while you get ones like in Japan, say, uh, because they have such a vibrant community, uh, magic community there. Um, but, you know, you ask anybody, those are hard to get to. Right, Sean? Uh, yes. Yes, that's a long, long flight. Right. So so I'm, I'm hopeful, but I'm not sure that it's going to happen, even with twice as many GPs, just because you still want to have people attending these. Right. Well, the other side of this is that the pro tours have gone more private. I mean, that, that is that starting next year, uh, we haven't even been told where the pro tours are going to be held, but when they are held, um, you won't have public events, you won't have um, a whole you know big spectacle of a bunch of 
know, PTQ and other side side events like uh, you know giving away foil sheets of things and um, you know Xboxes and the rest of it. Instead, you're going to have a much more private event. Um, you know, only the people who are playing in the in the Pro Tour are going to be at the Pro Tour along with the coverage staff. Um, they say they're going to increase the coverage, um, but that also means that a lot of the experiences that you would get as a judge at a Pro Tour, um, for those of us that have been to those, you won't really be able to get there unless you're probably in the higher echelon of judges. Um, now, what that does mean, too, is that at your Grand Prix, you may be able to um, do more. For instance, um, you know, right now, the only place you can certify for level three is at a pro tour. Well, if they change the staffing like this year, um, it's likely, it's, it's sort of an implication here that they're going to need another way to certify L3s. Um, and that is, you know, most logical place for that is at Grand Prix. Now, that hasn't been an f- official announcement within the program yet, but that's definitely what it implies. In another direction in the program, I want to sort of get off of the, the tournament organizing change, but actually the judge program itself changed a lot um, since we last recorded. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is this is great. We got a bunch of announcements for this one. Right. Now, it was sort of unfortunate to hear um, that David Vajan, um from France, who had been um, a level five judge for, uh, for about a year, um, uh, he stepped down, uh, retired, um, and then just recently we've had Scott Marshall from Denver um, step up to take his place um, as the fourth level five judge, um, and then we also had two more levels up um, to level four, um, and those two were uh, Cristiana Dionisio um, in Italy. Um, and it's uh, worth noting that she's the only woman in L4 right now, uh, you know, Women make up, I think, a larger portion of the judge base than they do the player base, um, and it's really good to see women, you know, succeeding in judging in this regard. Um, and I only, you know, expect amazing things from her going forward. Um, and then also, Damien Hiller um, um, went up to level four. Also, he's from South America, um, and now this what what this means really is that South America can host a Grand Prix. A head judge by a level four without importing one, uh, you know, and not not counting Carlos Ho, who is sometimes Panamanian but lives in Spain. Um, <laughs> yeah. So those are some important levels up, um, but I'm also holding out on one of these here. Which one is that, Jose? Uh, well, um, if people who have listened to our podcast may know this one. Um. Uh, Kevin Binswanger, I, I really wanted to mess that name up, but I think I actually said it correctly. He, he Bin- did. Uh, sometimes he goes by Bang Swanger, though. Oh. Yeah, yeah, Bang Swanger. Up to level three. Uh, people may remember him as uh, the uh, cowboy from uh, Texas competing Austin. against, huh? From He's Austin. From Austin. Uh, the un-Texas competing against uh, the Vikings for uh, judge levels. I think inspired by uh, Ricky's uh, California versus Spain um, contest. Well, it's, it's funny you mentioned that, Jose, um, um, because something happened with that while we were away also. In fact, uh, something amazing happened with that. Lots of fantastic things happened with that. 
Of course, I would only be saying these things if it really happened that we won. Wahoo! That's yeah, right. so you know, I'm a master of Segway. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, we, we won it. We uh, took it. I think we first mentioned this. When did we first mention uh, about the uh, California versus uh, Spain contest, getting the 75 judge levels? No, not levels. These are actual bodies. Yeah, 75 certified judges, not 75 judge levels. I'm sorry. Yeah, We're actually closer to 100 in our levels. Um, actually, I think we're over 100 now. Yeah, I think so. Um, we mentioned this a while back, but you know it's it's important to know that this has been a long, long road, and we've been helped along the way by a ton of people. Um, you know, level twos, level ones, level zeros that are interested in becoming level ones, up and down the state, um, and this sort of carried through um, at Star City Games Open uh, weekend in LA. Josh Stansfield uh, scored ninety eight percent on his level one exam. Um, just let that sink in there. That means he missed one question. I'm sure it wasn't a uh, lightning bolt question. Uh, <laughs> he definitely knows how to cast spells. Yes, he knows all the steps and how to cast a spell. I can guarantee that. Um, so what this means is that we now have... Actually, we, since then, we've certified, I think, five judges in the last four weeks or something. Um, so really, a lot of judges... That's one of the reasons we haven't recorded is every weekend we've been doing other events and doing amazing things. Each weekend, we've been uh, doing amazing things and certifying judges and not telling our listeners about it. <laughs> we suck. Well, <laughs> what it means, though, too, is that David de la Iglesia owes somebody dinner at a pro tour. So, not sure. no, it's not someone. I thought it was a, a bunch of people, wasn't it? Well... Yeah, but I think the other question is if you know if he had won, would a bunch of us just go in on dinner for him alone? And that seems like you know he's buying dinner for like four people or three people or whoever else. I don't know. We'll work out the details of it. Um, we also need to figure out what pro tour he's buying dinner at. Um, but that's now that they're closed off, he can pick the one you know and in the really far out of the way place, you know. Right, Pro Tour Wasilla. Yep, Pro Pro Tour Guelph. Since then, though, we are up to, I think, 80 judges in the state now. Um, basically, we, we've just been certifying these great folks, um, including um, somebody who was our first judge in the Central Valley for quite some time. Um, he's out of Merced, California, um, Vicente Davis. Um, we've also got folks, um, another person in Sacramento, some in L.A., some in the Bay, um, Michael Jimenez, I believe, and, and certified somebody way up north, um, in the northern reaches of the state. So basically all over the state, um, we've had somebody certified um, in the last month or so. And, of course, uh, on the heels of that, we have something, you know, not so fantastic, um, and that is that regionals uh, just happened, you know, last week. Um, or about about two weeks ago, I guess. Um, and attendance there, well, you know, it, it wasn't what I was hoping for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, you you want to do? We want to get into uh, our uh, regionals there. No, nah, we can give a little. I mean, I was the head judge for it, so it's worth mentioning, I guess, just because I was there and you were there, and you know, it was awesome. Um, it was a great event. You know, it ran smoothly. We had 135 players. And 13 judges 
we staffed for like 300 and some. <laughs> yeah, we staffed for a ton, um, more than we had. And I, I'm pretty sure that the tournament organizer, Tim Shields, um, probably lost a bunch on that. I don't even know if the attendance covered the room rental. Um, but at the same time, he was a, he was an awesome support about it. He was going through a lot that day. Um, he was running you know, five different regional events. Um, so he had a lot on his mind, um, just a lot going on, and he really just, um, you know, he was he was a, a gracious, gracious um, you know, organizer for us, and really let us sort of do the event like we needed to do to make sure that it was a fun event for the players that showed up, um, and you know, we sh- we could have accommodated a ton more, but that's what we got. The only, uh, you know, I'll tell you, uh, you mentioned that it ran smoothly. We did have some hiccups uh, well. <laughs> at the beginning, but I think, I think we handled it like a champ. I mean, we were really overstaffed for it, but, I mean, we had so many disgusting amount of judge levels. Um, we had, you know, Toby Elliott, level five. We had, of course, Jeff Morrow, level four there, Eric Levine, uh, the superstars uh, uh, native. Uh at level three and just yeah, I was I was sort of holding up the bottom of the totem pole on, on that one. Well, now you say the bottom of the totem pole, but you were actually leading a team that day, also, right? Oh yeah, you mean the logistics team? <laughs> right. So the reason we didn't have any hiccups that the players really knew about was because of you. So you did an awesome job. Let me just do this as sort of a mini review. You did a fantastic job. Oh, um, on the air review. This is a first. <laughs> Well, you know, lay into me, Sean. Okay, this is sort of off the top, but let's let's actually do this. So, when we do a review, you want to have um, identify the person's strengths, identifies areas that they could have improved, um, and then also um, just additional comments. That's sort of the three big areas. Um, there's also a thing there where you can say, sort of, you know, did you meet expectations? Were you above average, below average, whatever? Um, I usually ignore that part of the review because I think. Selecting that little option, uh, that two-word phrase that describes the whole thing, usually lets the reviewer think that they said more than they actually did. So let's ignore that for now. Um, of course, Jose is above average. So let's just go over, I guess, um, your strengths as the logistics team wore, lead. <laughs> Jose wore his judge attire admirably. <laughs> Areas of improvement, most everything else. Uh, that's a little self-deprecating, man. Actually, let, let's uh, honestly, we had probably one of the biggest logistical questions I have ever seen at an event of this potential scale. Uh, what happened was we walked into the room early in the morning, and the lights were buzzing very, very loudly. The giant sodium lights covering this giant hall, and they said, "Well, you know, the organizer Tim Shields comes to me and says, well, you know." this hasn't gone away. The sound hasn't gone away for the whole time I've been here. It doesn't seem like it's diminishing. I think we're going to move venues. Yeah, that's that's right. You you all heard it correctly. Uh, day of Tim Shields comes to us and says, can we just move venues? Right. And, and so he gets on the line with the convention center, talks to them about setting up a separate room. Um, they, they agree to do it. And just so happens that this separate room for us is about what would you say, Jose, a quarter mile away? 
Yep. Um, it was uh, across a busy thoroughfare. It was uh, in the uh, larger um, sort of a convention center proper of uh, San Jose. So. Right, because we were in sort of an outbuilding um, oh. that had sort of been appropriated by the convention center, but it wasn't actually part of the, the giant complex. Yep, and it was right adjacent to, uh, you know, that uh, bodies exhibit um, for, uh, you know, where you can see the uh, people's guts and stuff. Right, right. So, you know, it's, you know, come for the guts, stay for the magic, I think. <laughs> well, so, so we decided eventually, after a lot of hemming and hawing back and forth, uh, checking out the venue, sort of figuring out the logistics of how do we get all of our players, uh, you know, when do we move over? First off, do we have the player meeting, get the registrations, then move everything else over there? We've got to set up the computers, move those over. Um, you know, do we have to number the tables so they can sit down, um, then make sure we have everybody there, then move everybody over, then renumber the tables, then get everything set up. Um, that would have been a logistical nightmare. Um, but simply the considering it without having your head explode, I think, is a strength. So are you saying that my strengths are that my head does not explode? <laughs> I'm saying that your strength is that you're able to deal with a changing situation under pressure, and you dealt with that, I think, admirably. And also, um, when it came down to make that decision to do we move or do we not move, um, you're able to make your case directly uh, to me and to Tim in a way that made me understand, you know, yeah, this isn't the right call to move here. We can deal with this, um, and we can be okay with the situation that we have and the setup that we have without having to go to the extreme of moving the entire venue. Um, and I think that in the long run, the venue, you know, the, the venue's inconvenience is really immaterial. But for us, our inconvenience was minimized um, because of that decision that you uh, really helped me make. And that helped Tim make. So that was important. Wahoo! Right. So it's not just wearing your dread shirt properly. But I did do that. Right. Um, let's see. Areas to improve? Um, well, do we want to talk about your test? Uh, sure, sure. Uh, okay. let, let people know that I... Um, so uh, I, I think I was uh, sort of um, talked into uh, testing for level two, Um that weekend. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not sure if I was ready for that, but other people thought that I was. So, you know, I'm like, Oh, well, don't, don't want to, don't want to question that. I mean, they, they obviously see something I don't. So, uh, I went ahead and, and, uh, decided to test and not so well, you know, you say not so well. Um, there are a lot of people that have taken the level two exam and not passed the first time. Um, you're talking to one of them right now. In fact, they didn't even pass the second time. So um, that should not be a big concern for you. Um, instead, you should be looking at ways you can improve. Um, you can go online to the Judge Center, review your test, review what questions you got wrong, um, and then figure out you know what you need to learn to really get there. Um, because in terms of, you know, there's sort of, a dichotomous aspect um, to level two. That is that we want you to be good in your community, developing your community, helping people, you know, working toward improving the program that is the DCI. And then we also want you 
to have a really good grasp of the rules, to be able to understand um, how things are supposed to be run, and then you should also be able to, you know, lead a team at a PTQ, definitely, perhaps run a PTQ as the head judge, um, and do that with the kind of authority um, and understanding of rules and the philosophy of tournaments and of magic, such that you make the event run smoothly. Those are sort of separate aspects. Um, so you need to understand the rules, tournament policy, but you also need to understand what it means to be a leader in your community um, to a certain extent. Those things, you've got the leadership down. Okay, um, you, <laughs> You've got that. You need to work a little bit on the rules and policy, but you're pretty close. Um, I know whatever your score on the test was, it wasn't what you thought you were going to get. Um, but that's really the nature of the L2 exam. The L2 exam is there to tell you, you know, no, really, these are the areas you really need to focus on. Um, and also, it's a hard thing to do to take that test, going into it thinking you know enough to pass it, and then realizing how much there is that you don't know, how complex this game is. Um, that's an exercise in humility that uh, takes some maturity to go through, um, and being able to endure that, overcome it, um, um, that's a maturity that is also something that we expect of L2s. If there's one thing I am, is humble. <laughs> well, that's you, know, you mentioned that you needed to be convinced to take this exam. Um, that's something that a lot of us didn't understand, that you didn't think that you're ready, because a lot of us that, that look to you can say, you know, if ever there was an L1 that should be an L2, that should be encouraged and pushed, you're it. And that's that's true of this. So, yeah, so I, I totally agree with that. Uh, the test was hard. I encourage uh, anybody who wants to be a judge to take practice exams, and then uh, after you take the practice exams, realize that it's it's harder. Whatever you it, it practice is like, you know, uh, playing war games with Nerf guns. Um, it's, you know, it's fine, uh, but it's not going to prepare you. Um, <laughs> no, it, it actually does work to prepare you, but, you know, you definitely need do, uh, due diligence. Uh, you need to, you, you can't rely on the exams to get you there. Uh, you really have to, uh, after you take the exam, you have to go, okay, I really, I really, uh, you know, I got some of these wrong. I really need to iron out where those are because, you know, as people know, the uh, document, the comprehensive rules, is a voluminous 184 pages of text. Mm -hmm. And and it's not like fluff text. It's not like they use a lot of linking words and, you know, platitudes, nothing. It's, it's really just bullet point rules and corner cases. So it's 184 pages. That really should be 300 pages. <laughs> so, so if you, you know, cause I, I'll, I'll be honest. I walked out of that test. I thought I did okay. I thought I was on the level of maybe passing it, but I did a lot worse than I thought. And it was great to have you guys, you and, and Eric Levine, who, who administered the test, give the test and then talk through it. And it, it, it was good to see that. And, um, it was good to see where I got that stuff wrong. Cause it, and, and it really is just, really obscure stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Well, it's not necessarily obscure. It's just the application. They, they give you a complex situation. And they say, okay, tease out this one piece. And tell me, you know, the order of th- these things. Or the specific, you know, getting at exactly what they want to know, if you know, can be I tough. Say, I say it's um, obscure to uh, help my fragile ego. But at the same time, there are questions in the L2 exam that have come up for me in tournament situations. I can guarantee you that, too. No, no, no. And there are. I'm just uh, uh, bringing a little levity to the... uh, Of course. Okay. So that's all that's happened in Magic in the last, you know, month or so, right? That's everything. Hold on. No. (laughs) No. This is the part, you know... Insert rant. Um, there's one other thing to change. You know, we talked about the uh, the GPs doubling in number. You know, uh, eating their magic mushroom and, and becoming super GPs. Um, we talked about the the pro tour going private, so there's not going to be a lot of events. Um, you know, it still leaves. I'm sure there's people who have questions about. Um, you know, what happened to Magic Weekend over there in Paris? You know, they kind of brought the two together and then promptly decided to do away with it. So, uh, you know, that's that's something that's uh, worth considering. But well, there's- I, do un- I do understand that the Magic Weekend was kind of a staffing nightmare, um, trying to coordinate the staff to go to each event, make sure people had their breaks, make sure people didn't work 12 hours in a day or 18 hours in a day. Um, that was kind of a nightmare. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but there's one more thing that they did that makes me mad. Okay. Go for it. No more regional pre-releases. That's right. New Phyrexia. The Phyrexians won. <laughs> they have killed regional pre-releases. They're going to dance over the corpse of regional pre-releases at the new Phyrexia pre-release, and then that's it. Uh, that's actually something that I had forgotten. It's the thing I've been holding on to talk about. Okay, well, tell me more. Tell me more about how you feel here. Rant on. It, it's it's abysmal. It's awful. Uh, you know, and I'm not the only one who thinks so. Regional pre-releases were literally the tournament, the big tournament that casual people go to. It is, and you know I'm all about casual. I'm all about keeping it fun. So this is the big tournament that casual people go to. When you go to the GP, it's this one huge event. You commit yourself to, depending on the size of the GP, multi-day uh, uh, magic playing. You can end the day at like five and three, losing your third match uh, in the eighth round. You know, you're nine hours into your magic experience. And then they say, well, sorry, uh, sucks. Drop and I guess draft, you know. Uh, so really... Uh, the GPs, there's twice as many of them. Hopefully, they're going to be putting in twice as much fun uh, into them um, because those are those are fun, but they are also competitive. Pre-releases were fun; they were just casual fun. You play your four-round flights, 32 players, and and get packs on on performance, and you can do that all day. I really I really think that it's a mistake to do away with large, casually focused tournaments. Well, you know, I think I have hope for stores. That's what I mean to say. I think that if your store runs things properly um, and you can make your store run things properly, you can actually have a stronger community f- with only 
your pre-release happening in your local store. The biggest problem with this is the same problem we've always had with this change in the WPN where you're tied to a store, and if that store goes out of business, then you've got problems. That's the biggest biggest hazard I see here is that some areas without stores you know, or some areas where, say, there's a store that it, that's there and it goes away, getting a pre-release for that area may be difficult. But by and large, I have hope and faith that stores will get this done right. Um, now, I, I say this with some um, self-interest <laughs> in that I'm running a, uh, I'm, I'm running my own pre-release at a store that hasn't run one ever before, and I'm doing that you know next week. It's going to be awesome. Hope to get my full you know 32 players that I can fit in that space. Um, Thank you for bringing that up. It is it is nice to have hope and faith in stores. However, stores are not the be-all, end-all. Why not just have stores run Grand Prix, Sean? <laughs> Why don't we just uh, do away with, with big Grand Prix and just have stores run the Grand Prix? One event, X number of rounds, depending on how many uh, people they get. And just, you know, have the stores do that. Why do we not do that? Okay, now, you mentioned that facetiously. However, I, I'm not sure. I thought, <laughs> well, I guess a little tongue-in-cheek, yes. But, okay. but the point is... That the same reason to have um, regional grand, uh, grand prix exists to have regional pre-releases. I know they want to help out stores, and you know the casual uh, player is the domain of the store. I'm, I'm fine in understanding that, but I don't understand why we can't have our cake and eat it too. Why can we not have uh, our regional pre-releases um, as well? You know what I mean, and. I'm sure that what they did was say, okay, well, we're going to take the resources that we would sink into um, uh, running these regional pre-releases and just put them into the Grand Prix. I'm sure that it was the the right time to do that. But, you know, they tried to do away with regional pre-releases before. So, you know, you can't help but think that they're gunning for them for some reason. There's some reason that they're doing it. And whatever that reason is, I'm here to say that it's wrong. (laughs) <laughs> it is not the right reason. Whatever they think it is, it is not. There's no reason why we can't have a big, fun pre-release. Now, um, having a tournament organizer tied to a store, but then he uh, can go ahead and rent a hall and uh, run a big uh, uh, pre-release that's quote-unquote regional pre-release, but not really, that's what you got to do. In other words, you got to kind of run a regional pre-release without running one. Well, you know... It's funny you mention that, um, but if that sort of comes to bear, where there's actually more demand for the pre-release, um, at least in my area, I know that across the street from the store that I'm running things at, there's the Oakland Convention Center. Well, and there, and there you go. So it's up to you. It's up to you to bring back the regional pre-release in spirit, if not in name. Well, we'll see. We'll see if it can actually happen. Um, you know, we'll see what what else comes of this. Um, so, so with that, is that all that's happened uh, for Magic? I think that's it, right? Nothing big. Now, well, big. I mean, you know, uh, New Frexia got spoiled, but you know, we don't really. <laughs> okay, well, good. I, I think we can just skip to the end here then. Um, oh wait, what'd you say? Something about a, a set? Something spoiling? What? It has been made complete. 
That's exactly that's exactly the right way to present this. New Frexia is complete. Oh, the whole thing's on the mothership now. Uh, it, that's not where it started, <laughs> but that's where it is now. And uh, I I really feel bad. Um, uh, Evan Orwin I think put it very well in uh, his uh, magic show uh, this week, um, talking about what what happened with the spoiler and what that does uh, to people. I, I just want people to imagine that they are the guy with the preview card that they can't wait to spring on the world. They spend, you know, a week, say, writing their article, wittily uh, uh, showcasing uh, this new card, its impact, and just cool decks with it, you know? Um, yeah, uh, thanks for your hard work, but we don't need it. We already know. We already know. Cool combo? Yeah, we figured it out already. Right. Um, yeah, the whole thing being spoilerly, I mean, I have to admit, you know, I I was enthralled to see that at Salvation. I went and took a look at the whole thing, um, went through all of it and really enjoyed it. Uh, um, but at the same time, it was a guilty pleasure. Yeah, um, well, we, we may be getting a little ahead of ourselves. Um, I'm sure that by the time this goes up, uh, people already know the story. Um, but just for the sake of completeness, uh, we'll mention it. Um, Wizards of the Coast has this document called the God Book, which is basically a PDF showcase of all the cards um, for a set. And um, uh, someone or someones who had access to uh, this God Book, um, who may or may not have been held under a non-disclosure agreement, um, uh, decided to uh, forego that. Uh, or just ignore good sense and good taste and put it out there anyway. Uh, they put up some pictures uh, first, uh, you know, just some screen captures of the God book. And uh, later on, the entire thing was made uh, available. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we got our entire new Phyrexia set uh, just, you know, called out before before uh, it was time. Postscript being that... Um, whether this was a decision made ahead of time or not has not been uh, confirmed, but the entire set was then made available and accessible on the Mothership site on Daily MTG as of this Monday. No one knows if they made that decision, you know, if it was cause and effect there. Um, I'm almost certain that it was cause and effect. Yeah, I'm almost certain, but, you know, uh, props to Wizards of the Coast for not ignore basically ignoring what's going on you know their policy is not to talk about leaks but they went ahead and acknowledged it silently by putting the entire thing up so um i i do acknowledge that and uh, thank them for their uh their uh tact they did the best they could given a really bad set of options yeah yeah, so it, it was it was cool to see them. It was cool to see them. Uh, you know, they got a lot of lot of flack for a lot of different things, um, and this was just totally not their fault. They were basically blindsided by somebody who uh, took something that they were given in confidence and uh, put it out there, um, and uh, they, you know, they didn't even try to spin it. They didn't do a thing other than say, "Hey, you know what? Here you go." Now with pictures, and let me tell you the the flavor and the art 
and just everything about this set is wow. It really is wow. So far, everything looks pretty amazing. In fact, let's take this opportunity to take advantage of this giant spoiler and just talk about a couple cards that are in the set anyway. How's that sound? That sounds good. Um, we should probably put that to the end just uh, so that if people don't want to uh, be spoiled, there's still some out there. I know there still are. People who don't like to see the cards before, they can get their hands on them. Okay, well, let's do this here. I'll insert a little uh, waiting music right here. And folks who um, don't want to hear spoilers, they can just sort of tune out at this time. So, Jose... Now that we are limited only to listeners that uh, <clears throat> are interested in hearing spoilers. Voyeurs, if you will. Right. Uh, we do need to put a disclaimer on this, though, too. Uh, and that is that stuff that we talk about here, traditionally we're not supposed to talk about rules of specific cards until the FAQ comes out. The Frequently Asked Questions document for the new set. That said, the Frequently Asked Questions document for the new set has had pieces of it revealed by Wizards um, already, uh, specifically with regard to uh, Karn Liberated. Um, but also, we have... Um, I can use other analogies for some of the other cards here to sort of answer questions, and we'll just sort of insert that other card with that very similar ability um, to sort of discuss the rules aspects of these other cards. Of course, the reason we don't, uh, you know, do that is because we don't want to go on record and say a card works uh, one way when they release the the, the fact and and suddenly it's uh, works differently, you know. Right. So that said, since people people understand. Right, but my my feet are tasty, so I'm happy sticking my foot in my mouth this time. Ah, okay, sounds good. Okay, um, so let's go to the first one here. Um, the first one that comes to mind is, of course, Karn Liberated. Karn Liberated. Man. You know, uh, Planeswalkers have actually been around for uh, as a card type for a number of years now. It seems like only yesterday we were greeted with, you know, uh, uh, these full art humans uh, in our non decidedly non-human uh, Lorwyn set. Uh, and then we're like, whoa, what the what the heck are these? Um, I want to do all of these, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, for people who think it's a little soon to have our uh, first all-colorless planeswalker, um, no, it's not too soon. Okay, so Karn is all-colorless. Um, in fact, I think, you know, he exiles things and he makes people exile cards from their hand or exiles permanents. Those are all pretty easy abilities to consider. Um, the cool thing that at the end of it, though, is that his other ability, his ultimate, is more or less the closest you could come to Shaharazad uh, in modern templating, I think. And not get punched in the face? Right. Well, time will tell on that one. Because I think of a number of EDH players who will be like, and now I'll restart the game. So let's actually go over his ability here. Um, And I'm just going to read his ability off the card um, as it exists in the spoiler. 
That ability says, Restart the game, leaving in exile all non-aura permanent cards exiled with Karn Liberated. Then put those cards onto the battlefield under your control. So, restarting the game means you go back to 20 life, zero poison counters, um, you shuffle your library, you, you keep the same cards. Everything in play, everything on the battlefield, your graveyard, your hand, your exile zone, everything. Right, you reset the game. However, um, for those of you who may be involved in a tournament with this, this does not mean that you go back and try to sideboard again. Yeah. Don't try that. Um, and then you, know, you restart the game, okay. Draw your seven cards, okay, Mulligan, you know, make those decisions. Um, and then you put everything else into play. After you've done your pregame procedure, put everything else into play and then start the game. So the question becomes It's time machine. It, it, yes, it is it is much more literally a time machine. Absolutely. Let's say you have mm, a bugger and a hellkite as one of the things that you exiled. What happens to its triggered ability? If you have a Bogarden Hellkite exiled with Karn, yeah. your Bogarden Hellkite will be in play. You know, it doesn't need haste because it's been under your control since the beginning of your turn, uh, so it's free to attack. Its uh, triggered ability um, will go on the stack uh, at the beginning of your first turn's upkeep. That's absolutely right. The beginning of the upkeep is the first time that you would receive priority, so that's where we put all those triggers on the stack. Yep, I know. People are out there thinking, how did he fail his level two? <laughs> okay, well, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm glad you got that question right then. Um, let's see, there's there's a couple other questions um, from other cards. Do you have anything else on Karn before we go on to the next, the other cards? Uh, other than the fact that as soon as you uptick him, he has ten uh, loyalty and otherwise impervious to most anything. <laughs> right, that's... It's tough to deal with. He is tough to deal with, uh, though bear in mind uh, that uh, Nico Bolas will still just uh, blow him to smithereens. Uh, likewise, Karn can exile target Nico Bolas and uh, kind of mind control him from the past. <laughs> so who's the bigger badass? I want to know. People should let us know. They can do so at judgecast at gmail.com. Yes, we still check that email address. Or uh, we'll wipe the dust off our Facebook page and um, uh, uh, let people uh, post on there uh, who, which camp they're in. Mm-hmm. Okay, sounds good. Um, okay, let's see. I have two, no, three other cards I wanted to talk about. Um, they all seem pretty rules-intensive, I think, and they all highlight other interesting things. Um, about the rules that I think people should should probably understand. Um, so let's talk about psychic surgery. Psychic surgery. That's a good one. Um, it's a colorless and a blue enchantment. Um, rare. Whenever an opponent shuffles his or her library um, after searching for their squadron hawks, uh, you may look at the top two cards of that library. You may exile one of those cards, then put the rest on top of that library in any order. Right. right. So if you like both of the cards and you think your opponent should have both of them anyway, you can leave them both on there. But basically, the question that I really want to resolve with this, though, is more the question of, you know, when do I do this? How does this happen? Um, for instance, if I have psychic surgery in play, 
and then my opponent casts Warp World. Does, does it trigger? And if it does, when do I do the thing that it would have me do? Why did he say Warp World? You could have said any number of easier cards. All right. Yes. Uh, when does it trigger? Well, um, Psychic Surgery will trigger whenever uh, an opponent shuffles his or her library, um, but the uh, trigger won't go on the stack until they're done resolving whatever uh, ability it was that made them shuffle their uh, library. Well, now the other question I have is that with Psychic Surgery and Warp World, what happens if, I mean, if I play Warp World, I'm shuffling Psychic Surgery into my library at the same time that Warp World is resolving? Uh, so does it trigger or not? Does it trigger or not? Uh, I say yes. Okay, and you'd be right. Why, though? Um, because this is the same sort of rule uh, that, you know, if you have Death Greeter, uh, you're Death Greeter and three other creatures on the battlefield and somebody casts Wrath of God. What happens? Well, Death Greeter knew that it was uh, on the board, so... Right. The, the specific sorts of things that we need to go over are the rules for triggered abilities, and that is that the things that were on the battlefield, um, you know, at the time of the event or just before it are the things that are going to trigger. And, and for those judges out there that are saying, you're answering questions about new cards before the FAQ is out, um, the answer is identical if we use something instead like uh, Psychogenic Probe. You know, whenever an opponent shuffles his or her library, Psychogenic Probe instead. Um, we'll just use that instead of Psychic Surgery. But it, it would still happen the same way here. That is, I cast Warp World, um, I'm still taking damage from my opponent's psychogenic probe, even though he's shuffling it in at the same time that I'm shuffling my library with Warp World. Yep. Okay. Um, how about Torpor Orb? Torpor Orb. What a fun name to say. No, this I don't know if you noticed, but there's a severe uh, amount of hate for some of the... Uh, uh, most popular cards in uh, standard right now. Psychic surgery. I mean, really, um, seems like a, a hate card towards all the uh, library searching uh, that's going on nowadays. Um, and torpor orb, uh, two colorless artifact rare uh, from New Phyrexia says creatures entering the battlefield don't cause abilities to trigger, um, which is to read. If a creature uh, enters a, if a you know triggered ability uh, were to trigger when a creature enters the battlefield, instead it doesn't. <laughs> so uh, that one is, I think, I don't know, pretty pretty cut and dry there. The question I have for Torpor Orb um, is the difference. It, it highlights for me the difference between static abilities that happen as a thing enters the battlefield and triggered abilities that happen when, whenever, or at a time when something would enter the battlefield. So, for instance, Torpor Orb will not stop you from choosing a color with Painter Servant as it comes into play. It will not stop you from cloning a creature as your clone comes into play. Or now, uh, the the new hotness, uh, Phyrexian Metamorph. Right, the new hot clone that's also an artifact. Um, that will not be shut down by Torpor Orb. What happens if, uh, let me read you the... Uh, Wording on Phyrexian Metamorph here. 
Um, it is uh, a blue artifact creature shapeshifter. It is three colorless and one Phyrexian blue. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll talk about what that is in a second. Um, you may have Phyrexian Metamorph enter the battlefield as a copy of any artifact or creature on the battlefield, except it's an artifact in addition to its other types. Right. Now, if it copies a non-creature artifact, um, it will still have any triggered abilities that that non-creature artifact has when it enters the battlefield. Um, because the game never sees a creature entering the battlefield. It just sees an artifact enter the battlefield, and that won't Topor Orb won't care about that. Right. So, in other words, uh, if you copy uh, an Icar Wellspring with your Phyrexian Metamorph, because you really, really want to draw that card... Um, uh, you can do so under Torpor Orb, and you'll still draw your card. Right. Okay, great. That's a good distinction, because it itself is a creature, um, but when it enters uh, the battlefield, uh, since it enters the battlefield as a copy of something, if it doesn't copy a creature, it it never is a creature, according to the to the, to the game, in play. Right. Exactly. It's never a creature if it does that. Okay. Well, good. Um, I think that actually covers the rules and tents of cards that I wanted to cover now. I'm sure we can cover more once we get the FAQ document and get those things together. But um, for the time being, do you have anything else that you wanted to cover? Um, the Other than the sweet art on Enslave. Yes, that is sweet art on Enslave. Absolutely. Angel crying and glowing and not an angel anymore. Yes. It, it, it's it's very sad. Uh, so um, I'm sure people can figure out how uh, Phyrexian Mana works by now. It's on there on each of the cards. Um, all the Phyrexian Mana is colored uh, mana symbols. Um, they have a particular color, so it's like Phyrexian White, Phyrexian Blue, Phyrexian Black. Phyrexian what's, the, what's the abbreviation that you've been thinking of or using for that? Um, phi, like uh, the uh, Greek letter. Huh. Okay. Phi. Well, the Frexian symbol is the Phi symbol anyway, so that makes sense. So uh, I, I'm going with that, and uh, now it's official. So if you don't go with that, you are not a Judge Cast listener. So there. And you make us sad. The previous expressed opinions are the opinions of Jose Bovado only, not the opinions of Judge Cast or any of our sponsors that we don't have. Just wanted to clarify. So, yeah, so Phyrexian Mana, um, you can pay it with either mana of its particular color or pay to life. So you can choose how to pay that mana um, uh, when you're casting that spell. When do you do that? Um, The FAQ isn't out, but you can rest assured that it's going to be the same time you choose what mana to pay uh, for hybrid spells, for instance, if you were to... You know, cast a Simic Guild Mage, and you want to decide which mana to, to tap for it. Um, you do it when you're announcing it. So, okay, that's that's true. Um, I don't want to get into the order of casting spells any more than we have to on this show. If but, uh, you want to uh, do that, pl- if you want to listen to that, please find slowest bolt ever. You will find, uh, you know, when you choose the modes for your lightning bolt and uh, when you choose uh, how to pay for its uh, uh, mana and everything else. So now that we've covered these, um, I'm sure more more of our listeners will have more questions about the rules as the new set gets released, um, as they start actually playing with it, drafting it, etc. So when those questions come up in your local tournament, call for a judge right away. But if you decide that you want to wait till later to talk to us, 
by all means, send your questions to judgecast at gmail.com, and we'll hopefully be able to answer your questions quickly, and then you may even hear your question on the air. Yep. Uh, through our hiatus, um, uh, Sean has been diligently answering your questions, and maybe one or two of you have gotten just witty banter responses from me. So, um, <laughs> so he he does most of the heavy lifting, and uh, and I'll just uh, chime in with uh, random uh, you know juicy tidbits like the total number of oozes in magic. Something. <laughs> Well, with that, I'm going to get to some heavy lifting of my own in this show. That is editing it, taking out all these parts of wrong answers and confidential information that we shouldn't be sharing. Hopefully I catch them all. If I didn't, I'll hear about it later. Oh, yeah, that's true. We really we really should cut the part out where uh, uh, we talk about... Beep. Okay. Yeah. That part's cut out now. <laughs> I didn't even say it. That's how cut out it is. <laughs> All right, folks. This is signing off for JudgeCast. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for sticking with us through our hiatus, etc. This is Sean Cadenese telling you that, well, first call a judge, but I keep it fair. And Jose Bovida, I keep it fun. Thanks for listening. Judge Roulette, you know, you go on, you meet other judges from around the world, and it's clothing optional.